Welcome to the Electric Wire podcast. We bring you news and views on the most pressing issues facing Wisconsin's electric industry from policymakers, executives, and customer and environmental advocates. Bringing you these discussions, we are the Customers First Coalition. Here's your host, Executive Director Kristen Jilks. Welcome to the Electric Wire. I'm your host, Kristen Jilks. Over the next several episodes, we're going to be taking a look at energy provider models here in Wisconsin. Today, we're joined by Jeff Keebler, Chairman, President, and CEO at Madison Gas and Electric, an investor-owned utility based right here in Madison, Wisconsin. Madison Gas and Electric is the only investor-owned utility that is part of the Customers First Coalition. EIA classifies utilities into three ownership types, investor-owned utilities, publicly run utilities, such as municipal utilities, and cooperatives. Investor-owned utilities, or IOUs, are large electric distributors that issue stock owned by shareholders. Almost three-quarters of utility customers get their electricity from these companies. Publicly-owned utilities include federal, state, and municipal. And in Wisconsin, we are home to 81 cities, towns, and villages that own and operate a municipal electric utility. Cooperatives or co-ops are not-for-profit, member-owned, and member-governed electric utilities. Here in Wisconsin, since 1907, the Public Service Commission has been responsible for the regulation of the state's utilities, including those that are investor-owned and municipally-owned. The Public Service Commission staff includes auditors, accountants, engineers, rate analysts, attorneys, planners, research analysts, economists, consumer analysts, consumer specialists, court reporters, and paraprofessional and administrative support personnel to help evaluate the finances and operations of the state's utilities to determine appropriate rates and service standards for customers. These experts work in an advisory role to the three commissioners who make the final decisions to set the utilities rates, programs, offerings, business agreements, and large construction projects. Today, we are joined by Jeff Keebler, who has been the CEO of Madison Gas and Electric since 2017. He is going to share some personal and company insights, as well as more about the investor-owned utility model. Our next two episodes will feature those representing the municipal utilities and electric cooperatives. There are key stakeholder groups, such as consumer advocates, labor, and environmental groups that we'll dedicate future episodes to as well. Thanks for listening. And now here's my discussion with Jeff Keebler. Well, thank you so much, Jeff, for joining us here on the Electric Wire. We are honored to have you as our special guest today. Well, thanks for having me. Great to be here. Get us started. How did you get into this industry? So I actually started in the industry straight out of college. College. I went to UW-La Crosse and then um, moved to Madison and started at Madison Gas and Electric. Started out in our gas regulatory area, so I was uh, exposed to a lot of the regulatory process, rate setting, those sorts of things. From there, I moved into our trading area, so I got to understand the market, both the gas market and the electric market. And then my next movement was actually into our customer service area. So I really got to hear the voice of the customer and, and sit on phone calls with customers and understand what some of the challenges they're facing. And so it really prepared me to uh, to get into my role that I'm in now and really think the preparation was fantastic for the point of time that the industry is in. What, what was your major at UW-La Crosse? So economics and finance. So I get a lot of questions on, am I an engineer? And the answer is no. As you were on your leadership journey through the company and you became the CEO, 
were there goals that you set for yourself as a leader or have you set goals for the company that you've been really proud of? Yeah. So MG&E is, is known as your community energy company and we take that to heart. So a lot of the goals that have been set um, either by me or by others within the company are really about engaging with our community. And as the, the um, as a public utility, we're able to do that. And we have a unique service territory that we're relatively small. Um, so uh, community partnerships and being a, a partner for good in the community has really been a goal of ours. We've set a lot of uh, renewable energy goals, sustainability goals that I'm proud of that I'm sure we'll get into some of that in a little while. Well, as you know, we're talking about the different utility models in this series. And so I wanted to get things rolling by talking about what, from your view, are some of the main functions and objectives of investor-owned utilities and give us an idea of how MG&E compares to other investor-owned utilities in the state and in the nation. So our function, we are a public utility, first and foremost. We happen to be investor-owned, which is just means that investors have put money into us um, and we're traded uh, in, in the marketplace as a, as a publicly traded utility. But we're a public utility, first and foremost. So that means we're here to serve the public. Um, there are a lot of different things that go on with regulation. You'll hear me talk about a concept called the regulatory compact, which is really the, the mechanism in which regulation works. And what that regulation really does is it's assuring that we are set up well to be able to provide natural gas and electric service to all customers and customers can receive the benefit of, of that in a fair, equitable, transparent manner. A lot of things we talk about are safety and reliability and really the process is set up and designed to assure that we're in a position to provide safe and reliable electric and natural gas service. We talked about other utilities. So there are other utilities um, serving the state, many other, uh, there are different types of utilities also. So we're investor-owned utility. There are also municipalities that have utilities or co-ops. Um, when you think about an IOU, there are a handful of utilities in the state. I think about the, the larger ones. So it's it's MG&E, it's Alliant Energy, it's Excel Energy, it's WEC Energy Group, who has uh, WE Energies and Wisconsin Public Service Corp. Um, and we're all generally similar. There are some differences between us. Those differences primarily are around size, we're smaller than the others. Um, and we think that's an advantage. Uh, and then it's also size of service territory. So we are in Dane County primarily, we have some Western part of the states on our gas side, but um, we focus and we tend to focus on, on Dane County and are able to participate with the county, uh, with our customers and with our community to, to, again, really be your community energy company. Are there other groups you are in with other investor-owned utilities that help keep you united on the issues? Certainly. Yeah, there, there are three that I would highlight. One is within the state of Wisconsin, there's Wisconsin Utility Association. So we're a member of the other IOUs that I mentioned are members, and there are a number of other members in the Wisconsin Utility Association. And it's really making sure that we're aligned on state level and state process. There are two other national groups. One is the EEI, so the Edison Electric Institute, and one is the 
American Gas Association or AGA. And those are national entities, one focused on electric, one on, on natural gas, that we really get together and we're able to, to understand what others are doing in all kinds of different topics. Some of it is on policy, a lot of it is on operations from a safety or reliability aspect, how things, how people are doing other things so we can learn from one another. So those are the three primary groups that we're involved in. And there are some others, but those are the major ones. One of the similarities among investor-owned utilities and, and many utilities that have been serving the public in the state is, is the length of service, the length of time you've been a part of the communities that you serve. Can you tell us about how long MG&E has been around and also some of the other investor-owned utilities? Yeah, you're, you're exactly right, Kristen. We've been around for a long time. So MG&E has been around for over 150 years. The, the primary municipality that we serve is the city of Madison, and we predate the city of Madison by a couple of years. So wow. um, long history, long partnership, and we're really ingrained within the community. Our employees live and work in, in Dane County, and so we're really ingrained within the community. That's true for Madison Gas and Electric Company. That's also true for the other investor-owned utilities. Every investor-owned utility has been around or has its roots in serving the community for a long, long time. Maybe you could explain what vertical integration means and how that affects the way you function. Yeah, so vertical integration, there, there's really three things you need from an electric perspective. You need you need generation, you need transmission, and you need distribution. So generation is the creation of electricity. Transmission, think of it as like the highway system. It's moving electricity along longer areas, bigger wires. And then the distribution is really like our local roadway. Um, and it's how we get energy to individual customers, homes, and businesses. And so you need all of those, and you need all of those working effectively, efficiently, and together. And so we are vertically integrated. We, we own generation, and we generate um, electricity. We are also a part owner of American Transmission Company. So uh, 20 some years ago, American Transmission Company was founded and it was really a combination of the utilities coming together and saying, we need a transmission utility so that they can focus on the transmission issues. At that point in the state, there were some uh, reliability issues that were going on. And so this was a better way of managing the transmission system. So we're vertically integrated as part owner, but also customer and partner of American Transmission Company. And then we own the local distribution system that we take the power from the transmission system and we deliver it um, to our customers. So how has the way that you've generated power changed over the past couple decades? It, it's actually changed a lot. So when you go back in time, power Power has gen been generated the, the same way effectively for 100 years or 150 years. And it, it, the, the method of doing it has been, you've, you've changed the input, but really the method of doing it has been the same. Um, and it's been primarily coal and natural gas, so fossil fuel delivered energy. Now we're changing the way we're doing that. We have some new technology that is, from a technical perspective, generating the same way, but it's using the wind to generate. We have other technologies such as solar that's actually generating differently. It's called an inverter-based technology. So you don't have spinning parts and pieces. You have an inverter that actually creates the electricity from the light. Uh, from the sunlight. We've done a lot of work. We as in Madison Gas and Electric Company, but also the other utilities in the state and the other utilities across the country. And we're moving away from the fossil fuel derived electricity and we're moving towards the renewable electricity. There are pros and cons to both, um, but we, we, think, uh, we think climate change is a real issue and we want to address that issue. And so one of the ways that we do that is through um, the cleaning of our generation mix. And so that's why we're moving to renewable energy. And we can do that in a real 
really safe, reliable, and affordable way for customers. I know in the in the industry, we'll often talk about centralized generation versus distributed generation. Did you want to offer any thoughts on that? Certainly. Yes, because it is a change, and I'm glad you brought that up. So it used to be that the transmission and the distribution systems were designed to move power from what they call centralized generation stations. So these are large-scale generators, and they're typically outside of what we call load center. So we'll think of that as cities. And so the transmission system was designed to bring a lot of power from outside the city to inside the city, and then the distribution system moved it around. With renewable technology, and frankly, with some of the, the fossil fuel technology on a smaller scale, we're able to transition from large central service stations to distributed stations. And so we're able to have generation along the transmission system. We're able to have generation connected to our distribution system. An example that, that uh, if you're in the city of Madison, you can actually drive out to Fitchburg and we just put in, in a 20 megawatt solar array. Um, we call it the O'Brien solar fields. And so that's connected to our distribution system. And so there are different ways of doing that. Some people think that that means that the transmission system is no longer relevant or that there's some uh, there's not as much of a need. That's actually not the case because what we know about renewable technology is it it operates when its fuel source is there. So when wind is blowing, wind generation operates. When the sun is shining, the light from the sun allows us to get solar energy from solar arrays. When those aren't happening, we need to bring power in from other areas. And so the transmission system is just as important as it always has been. It is being redesigned, and you see a lot of transmission building happening now to adapt to the new way that generation is happening from that central service uh, to the distributed model. You mentioned briefly the regulatory compact and Madison Gas and Electric is a regulated utility, just as all of the other investor owned and municipal utilities are here in Wisconsin. So I want to know from you, what does it mean? to be a regulated utility? And what does that mean for your customers? There's a lot of detail we could go into. I'm not going to go into all that detail, but, but yes. first and foremost, I, I think it means a, a number of things. One, it means a, a model in which there's consistency among rules, among how things are done. There's standards that have been developed. So standards, guidelines, rules, uh, pick your pick your term, but it, it's how we operate and in turn how customers can expect to receive service from us. There are a lot of things embedded in that. The processes for safety, the processes for customer service and customer protection are in, embedded in that. Our need to have sufficient um, resources, so whether that's distribution, transmission, or generation, and the Public Service Commission oversees all of that and they regulate us on all of that. Another important aspect is that there is an obligation to serve. So I have an obligation to serve customers. And if a new customer wants to connect to my system and I have a system there, I am going to connect them. It doesn't matter who they are or what they're doing. I am obligated to connect them. So it really allows access for all, um, which is an important part of what we're doing. And then the last thing I just want to touch on, and then I can go into any of that that you want me to, want me to but there's also it also allows a method for implementing policy. So whether that policy is coming from the state, uh, um, from the legislature, or from the commission, think of energy conservation. We've had energy conservation policies for a long time. The regulatory model allows those policies to be implemented, and then I will take those and I will implement those with my customers, whether that's offering programs and services or providing um, information or whatnot. 
to our customers. So when we talked about your being regulated by the Public Service Commission of Wisconsin, tell us what that involves. How do they regulate you? What information do they have access to? And you know, how much control do they have over rates and rate classes and things like that? So they have access to a lot of information. In fact, they can ask us any question and we'll provide them information. There are a lot of filing requirements that we have. So we file a lot of information. There, there's a couple of different buckets, I would say. One is the, the customer protection bucket. So how are we doing from a, a customer service perspective? How are we answering customer calls? Do we have customer complaints? So that, that's one piece. And we file information periodically. We have routine communications with the Public Service Commission um, on those sorts of things. But that goal is really to assure that customers are provided the service that they should be provided, expect to be provided, and that all customers are provided service. You mentioned specifically the rate-making process. And so um, I'll dive into that for a moment. So we do go into the Public Service Commission. They have authority to set our rates. We don't decide what we're going to charge. We can control our costs, and we then we'll make a filing. And that filing will look at all the costs that we have, as well as the allocation of those costs to individual customer classes. So that process happens on a routine basis. Typically, it's every year or every other year. Um, it's a very transparent process. There are interveners that, that come into the process. So anyone can intervene, but these are other groups. And there's, there's consumer advocacy groups in there. There are other groups. There's uh, environmental groups that come into that process. And everyone has access to the information. They look through everything. We have, it's almost like a court process, if you will, where we have testimony that's due, we have briefing, we have a decision that's made ultimately by the commission. Customers, any individual customer can participate in that process and they can participate in that either through the process I just described, or there's a separate process for consumers if they'd like to be involved in that. They can come to a hearing process or they can file comments on the Public, Util Public Service Commission's website. I was going to ask about that angle as well. Like what level of involvement do customers have in your rates or in your programs and offerings? How do you get that feedback from them? Let me do one, one other thing that I want to just make sure I touch on. And that is when we talk about the regulation, there's another bucket to regulation. And that is in the design of programs. It's the building of generation, those sorts of things. So the Public Service Commission approves when we go out and build a new generator, whether that's a, a large scale generator or a smaller generator um, and typically solar or wind or what we're there now. Now, the, there's a process similar to a rate process that the Public Service Commission approves that. They have to deem that it's in the public need, um, that there's a public need and necessity for that, those sorts of things. So there is a process there for that. In addition to that is a process for reviewing the products and services that we offer. So embedded in that, and when a lot of people think we offer two products, we offer natural gas and we offer electricity. That's true, but we offer it in many different ways. So we have programs on, uh, and I'll touch on the electric side, we have programs on the electric side for people who have smart thermostats and they want to engage with us on smart thermostats. We have electric vehicle programs and EV charging programs. We have solar programs that will allow customers to take advantage of solar um, in our service territory. So those are the programs and service offerings that we have. Customers are heavily involved in that. We don't do anything without talking to our customers, reaching out to our partners. And those partners are commercial customers, they're residential customers, they're community groups, um, whether that be nonprofits, whether that be municipalities. So we have a very open process to, to talk to customers to understand what their needs are and how we can meet those needs. Once we determine that we want to offer a product to customers, then we go through a process that's very similar to the rate case process where we file information with the public 
Service Commission. There can be interveners in that process. And ultimately, the Public Service Commission um, determines whether or not we can offer that product. And what they're looking at is cost, is, is the cost justified? Is it going to the right people? Should there be changes in the design or methodology of that? And is it accomplishing the goals of the regulatory compact? Okay, one of the questions I get sometimes, and, and I'm hoping you can just give a answer to, how do you make a profit? Are you guaranteed a profit? And when you make a profit, who benefits? It's a question I'm asked quite a bit as well. So yeah. yes, we can make a profit. Uh, a profit is not a bad thing. It's really a recovery of the investment that people have made in us, our investors have made in us. So we are not guaranteed a profit at all. We are given the opportunity to earn that profit. And it goes through the regulatory process, the rate case process of setting the rates and determining what an authorized return on investment is. We have... Um, two vehicles primarily for financing. We have equity, which is what our investors have invested in us. And then we have debt. And so the Public Service Commission looks at what should the right amount of equity and debt be? What should the returns of both of those be based on market prices and what's happening in the marketplace? And then they set that and embed that in our rates. And so um, when we collect those costs from customers, there's a component of it that is a return on the investment people have made in the utility. Then investment is really important, however. We're, we're a, a capital intensive industry, meaning that we, we invest in a lot of things, whether that's pipeline or you know, distribution pipe or wires, um, whether it, it's uh, through the transmission process with ATC or whether it's generation. We have a lot of capital intensive uh, projects that we do. So that investor is what's actually allowing us to invest those funds in those pro projects. And so they, they deserve a return on those funds. I, I should note, most of our investors over time have been, um, well, MG&E has, has a slightly different investor mix than some of the other investor-owned utilities. We have about half of our investors are what we call retail investors. So they're people like you and me. They're not big companies or big investment companies. Um, and so we engage and interact with those investors as well. And then we have another subset that is really, I'll say, retirement funds. So most of the time when, I, when people think about investors, they think about someone sitting in a, a hundred foot or a hundred story building on Wall Street. That's not the case with utility investors. A lot of utility investors are retirement, saving for retirement. They're the people that you meet on the streets and they're our customers, frankly. Okay. Speaking of your customers, let's talk about a group of customers that are higher need. I know when I have heard numbers about the percentage of lower income customers that certain utilities offer service to, it's oftentimes a staggering number. How do you offer help to those customers who are struggling to pay their bills and what programs and protections are in place from the Public Service Commission or from the state to partner with you to help keep those customers being served? Right. So affordability, first and foremost, is key for us. We know energy has to be affordable for all. We we look at a number of different things to determine that affordability, right? How, what our rate increases have been compared to, to CPI or other measures. But another thing we look at is energy burden. What's the burden of energy on someone's overall cost structure um, and what they're paying for? We do have a large number of customers. It is staggering. You use that word. It is staggering the number of customers who need help 
paying for their bill or who have affordability issues. So we have a number of different ways that we work with customers. First, we work with them directly. So one-on-one, -on -one, they can call us. We have a call center right in the basement of the, or right in the first floor of the building I'm in. They can call us and talk to a live person. We also work with local nonprofits and other entities to, to put protections around those customers. So United Way, they have a service, 211 is the service, so we can call 211 um, and you can talk to someone and they can help you not just about utility bills, but also about housing or your workplace or any any number of things that people need help with. Um, so those are big deals for us. There's other entities out there as well that we work with. Energy Solutions Inc. is one, or Energy Services Inc., I'm sorry. And they're really on the affordability side and they're really trying to help people who need help. They can pool dollars together and bring dollars to the table to help help people pay their bills. There are a lot of state and federal programs that are also out there. So we work with customers on all of those. We work with the commission on those as well. Um, one of the ways that people can save money on their energy bill, obviously, is through energy efficiency measures. How does energy efficiency fit into your business model and what programs are available to customers to help with their own energy efficiency measures? Energy efficiency is a key program for us. It's a, it's a key, I guess, program is the right, right way to, to think about it. And we've been, we've been focused on energy efficiency for a long time. Energy efficiency does a couple of things. One, when you think about it from a climate perspective, there are three things that we need to do. And these are embedded in all of the climate science. We need to clean our generation. We need to electrify what we can to get off fossil fuel. And we need to use energy wisely. So that's the energy efficiency component. We've been doing that for a long time. And our customers have been doing that for a long time. There's another component of it, though, is when we use energy efficiently, it means that I don't have to invest or build more distribution capacity or more generation capacity that's really not needed, but for customers' usage, right? So if we can use energy more efficiently, then I don't have to build as much and our overall cost structure goes down. Also, when an individual customer uses it more efficiently or is able to reduce usage, then their bill will go down because they have less usage and part of our charges are based on a usage perspective. So that's the overall concept of energy efficiency. And so we do have programs and service offerings that allow customers to take more control over how they use energy. Some of those things, we, and I should also say we partner with others. So Focus on Energy is a big partner of ours from an energy efficiency perspective. And they also have programs, they have rebate programs and other things that we work with them and, and connect them with our customer base. So some of the things like that, I mentioned earlier, a smart thermostat program. So that's a great way. Customers don't even realize that their smart thermostat and through some of the messaging that we provide to that smart thermostat, that they're actually saving energy. It's dialing down or dialing up depending upon the season you're in. And we're able to reduce energy and customers aren't impacted by that other than they see a reduction in their bill. Jeff, do you think that MG&E has been able to keep up with some of the changing customer expectations around electrification and EVs, DERs, smart thermostats? The short answer, yes, I think we have. You know, I'm a little cautious because there's a lot more room to grow and more things to do that are coming down, down the road at us. But when we talk to our customers, I believe we're meeting their expectations at this point in time. We, we've been able to understand the new technology, right? We're not a developer of new technology, but we're a user and implementer of that technology. And so we've, we've done a lot of work. MG&E is an example. We have one of the largest charging, public charging networks in the country. When you look at it on a per capita basis, 
our customers are really early adopters of electric vehicles and electrification. We've worked with a lot of the local dealerships around here to explore the benefits of electrification and EVs and how they sell their vehicles to customers. So there's a lot of work that we've been doing. We talked earlier about the regulatory process and the approval process for new services. We just received approval from the Public Service Commission on new electric charging tariffs. So how we are able to offer electric charging to more and more customers. And so whether you're a fleet um, or whatnot, we have programs and service offerings for that. There's a lot more coming down the road. So, um, you know, we're working on how do we, how do we again help with charging? How do we help with solar? Um, we have programs and services for all residential and business customers on solar. So if they want to have a particular percentage of solar or buy into a solar array, um, we can provide those services to them. I think I've heard you say this before, but as you're changing your generation fleet, you're also offering programs to customers who may want to go further faster than you can as a company. And we've talked a little bit about the solar options. Did you want to expand on that any more about the specific programs? Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for the question. And, and you're right. Further, faster is something I say quite a bit. And it means a couple of different things. But first, it means that if we can go further, faster towards achieving our carbon reduction goals, usually by working with our customers, that's what we're going to do. And we've been very successful in that. We've doubled our carbon reduction goal. Originally, we had a goal of 40% reduction in carbon by 2030, and we're now at 80% reduction in carbon by 2030. And that's really due to partnerships with our customers. The other one is we can help customers go further faster than what we're even doing. So when you think about a customer, and let's just fast forward to 2030, if someone says they want to be 100% carbon-free energy at that point in time. We're gonna have you at 80% carbon reduction already. Um, and so you only have to think about the next 20%. And we have service offerings for that. For residential and small customers, we have what we call the shared solar program. So we, we build a solar array in our community and you can, can take shares of that through the regulatory process. We also have what we call a renewable energy rider. It's for larger commercial customers where we can develop tailored renewable energy solutions for individual customers. So we've been successful in both of those programs and um, would love to talk to anyone who wants to know more information about those. How that dovetails with the regulatory model, as we were talking about your recently approved EV options and also with these shared solar and, and renewable energy rider options, these are set up in a way that protects all other customers from feeling the impacts of customers who are choosing to adopt these technologies at a rate that's faster than what MG&E is doing economically for the rest of its customers. Absolutely. That's a very good point because this is all go going through the regulatory process the regulators and anyone else through that intervener process that we talked about earlier, they can come in, they can look at these. And one of the one of the key factors that we are looking at and the commission is looking at is who's bearing the cost of those programs. And those costs of those programs should be assigned to the people who are bearing the, who are receiving the benefit of those. And so that's a huge component of the regulatory process to assure that the right customers are paying for those costs. Got it. And it, it also assures that we're offering the programs in non-discriminatory fashions, that they're available to all customers who right. qualify for those, and all of those other consumer protections that are so valuable that normally we don't think a lot about because they're there, but that's one of the main benefits of regu the regulatory model. Jeff, what do you see as the future of investor-owned utilities and your customers? I see 
a bright future. In a really high level, I don't see changes. And so let me explain that for a moment. We've been here for 150 years, and our goal is to provide safe, reliable, affordable, sustainable power and natural gas, electricity and natural gas to our customers. And we have an obligation to serve, not just serve each customer, but obligation to serve our customers in the way they want to be served. And so that's been true 100 years ago, 50 years ago, 10 years ago, and it'll be true for the next decade to 100 years from now. I think the manner in which we do that and the opportunity and options for programs and services for customers is changing rapidly. And that's where where I think we have a, a really good perspective on how to achieve that for all customers. We want to make sure that all customers can benefit from the new technology, whether that's electrification, whether that's um, solar, whether that's energy efficiency type technology, and the regulatory model is the way to do that. And we can do that through investor-owned utilities. The one piece I just wanted to touch on, when we talk about new technology, um, and we talk about most of this technology is at the customer location. So whether it's their car that's going to be connected to the grid at their location or another location, whether it's smart thermostats, um, whether it's smart appliances, those sorts of things, they all work really well but they're trying to manage their own usage, right? So the car is going to manage its own usage. The Nest thermostat is going to manage its own usage, and it's going to be set up in a way to optimize itself. We need to be able to make sure that we can optimize across all of those technologies. So there's a concept that we talk about is the utility is the conductor. So we're not the musician who's playing. We're not that smart appliance or that car, but we're the ones who are helping coordinate all of that together. It's a really important role going into the future as we have more technology that's distributed throughout the grid. And it's a role that only the utility can play because we're the ones that have access to the information. We're the ones that, that can conduct in the way that we need to conduct. So I would say that's the one, one additional point that's really important to say and make sure that our customers and our community know about that. Our last question for all of our guests, if you had all the power in the industry, what would you do with it? So I had a sense you'd ask that question since you asked everyone that question. And I tried to come up with a really good answer, but I actually think we're doing what we should be doing. What we're doing is we're transitioning to a low carbon economy at the lowest cost for everyone. We're allowing everyone to participate in that transition. We're doing that through developing innovative programs for customers. We're building out infrastructure, whether it's electric charging, whether it's transmission infrastructure, we're working with customers on electrification and energy efficiency. So the ultimate goal of the public utility is to provide safe, reliable, affordable energy for all. And that's really what we're doing. And so if I had all the power in the industry, I'd, I'd go faster, but I wouldn't change the pathway that we're on or what we're doing. That's perfect. And I appreciate that. As you're talking, I'm thinking, I think you're the first CEO I've ever had on. So you're probably the closest <laughs> to having all the power in the industry. That was that's, a good- That's not true. <laughs> Good response, and I appreciate that. Well, thank you for having me, and thanks for, for working with Customers First Coalition and, and keeping the customer at the center of what we're doing. Thank you to all of our listeners for tuning in. Please support our work. You can subscribe to the Electric Wire podcast if you haven't already, and you can follow us on Twitter at The Electric Wire. Thanks also to the members of the Customers First Coalition for supporting this podcast. Our members are Dairyland Power Cooperative, Madison Gas and Electric, the Municipal Electric Utilities of Wisconsin, WPPI Energy, the Citizens Utility Board, 
the International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local 2150, and the Wisconsin Electric Cooperatives Association. Thanks again for listening. We'll have a new episode next month.